After a year of fighting in Ukraine, what's happening on the ground right now? The front lines have become entrenched. Both sides are still experiencing heavy casualty numbers every day. Coming up, the next phase of the conflict, the global impact, and how international SOS has worked to keep people and operations in Ukraine safe. It was definitely a challenging period and one that I won't forget for a very long time. It was equally very, very rewarding. What next for Ukraine? A new podcast from International SOS. Hello, I'm Paul Osborne. It's a year since the conflict in Ukraine began, a year of turmoil for millions, its impact felt around the world, but bearing down on the people of Ukraine. The sun came up this morning, a missile striking an industrial park in western Ukraine. A helicopter assault on an airport outside of Kiev. Close, intense fighting. And there are civilian casualties. Reporting from America's NBC News at the start of a conflict that has now gone on for 12 months. It's estimated both sides have suffered at least 100,000 fatalities. Ukraine's economy has shrunk by around 30% and around a third of its population has been displaced. This is the third in a series of special podcasts marking the anniversary of the conflict. In previous episodes, we focused on its early days and on the impact it's had on health care in the country. This time, we're going to try to look forward to what might happen next. To do that, I'm joined by Louise Hogan, International SOS's lead security analyst for Eastern Europe and Central Asia, and by Tara Nidja, lead security analyst for Europe. Louise started with a picture of the current position on the ground. One year into the situation, Ukrainian troops have, have pushed back Russian forces right across the south and east of the country, but fighting does remain intense. So, both sides are still experiencing heavy casualty numbers every day, although Russia does appear to be incurring the highest losses. I would say that over the last few months, the front lines have become entrenched. But in recent weeks, Russia has intensified its aerial and its ground campaign, particularly in the east of the country. So we are seeing a resurgence in fighting right now, and that's primarily concentrated in Donetsk and Luhansk provinces. Elsewhere, Russia is continuing to launch aerial strikes across Ukraine, uh, primarily targeting critical infrastructure. Many analysts thought there would be a relatively quick Russian victory. That isn't, of course, what happened. Though in recent weeks, there's been a lot of talk about an imminent new Russian offensive possibly timed to coincide with this anniversary. Yeah, that's exactly right, Paul. That Russian offensive is actually already underway. We're seeing it happen in Donetsk and Luhansk. It may be more limited than some people were expecting, but Russia is intensifying its ground and aerial campaign all along the eastern front line and has been for several weeks now. We'll still see that grow further in intensity in the coming weeks, likely increased aerial strikes, the deployment of further reserves, but it's unlikely to significantly expand in scope. Russia simply doesn't have the resources to do so currently. So in terms of a renewed Russian offensive, what we're seeing now is essentially it. We did have some warnings previously about Russia maybe launching an offensive from Belarus that would be into northern Ukraine, possibly in the direction of the capital Kyiv again. 
But we assess that's very unlikely at this time. That sort of large-scale offensive would require such a significant commitment of manpower and equipment. Russian forces in the east and south are already stretched across a wide geographic area, and they simply don't have the resources. So Russia is very unlikely to risk further undercutting its campaign by trying to launch any offensive from the north. In the coming months, we very much expect to see that fighting will remain concentrated along that existing front line in the east and south. Now, we saw Ukraine's president visiting European capitals early in February, trying to rally support. We've seen world leaders, including the the president of the United States, traveling to Ukraine. What do you think is Ukraine's current military objective? Broadly speaking, to regain control of its territory. And to do this, its short to medium term objectives will be to regain that strategic advantage that it had before winter conditions set in and sort of brought a leveling off to the fighting that we've seen happen over the last few months. So we do expect to see Ukraine launch a renewed counteroffensive. It will most likely be in the south around Zaporizhia, but then after that, definitely in the east as well. Ukraine really wants to regain a strategic advantage by breaking through those Russian lines. It's very important for Ukraine to avoid the conflict becoming an entrenched, drawn out affair because that could really favor Russia in the long term. But to achieve all that and really sustain its momentum, Ukraine does need a continuous supply of weaponry. Ammunition is becoming crucial too in terms of supply and also funding from its Western allies. Well, at the start of the conflict, millions of people tried to flee the fighting in scenes that many will never forget. In the first of these special podcasts, International SOS Security Director for Assistance, Phil Nolan, told us about the calls for help in those first few weeks. The biggest spike came on the 24th of February, a significant climb in case activity. In total, between the 12th of Feb and the 31st of March, we had 1,500 security cases Well, let me bring Taryn in here because you were involved in helping to facilitate some of those evacuations. What was it like? Hectic, to say the least. There were just simply so many moving parts, all of which required an immense amount of round-the-clock coordination between our teams across the world. Thankfully, this way of operating across countries and time zones is is not new to us. So we're very well prepared in that sense to handle the crisis. Let's Look forward now, if we may, to look at what may happen in in the months ahead. What I want to do, Taryn, is start outside Ukraine's borders, because the the conflict has already had a significant economic impact really around the world, and presumably that will continue. Well, yeah, I mean, there's no doubt that the impact and ramifications of this conflict, they're going to be felt well beyond Ukraine for months, if not years to come. But interestingly enough, the European Commission came out there's some interesting data that suggested 2023 would actually be a bit of a better year for the bloc uh, economically than originally expected. Inflation, notwithstanding any unexpected shocks, of course, appears to have peaked and is now on a steady path of decline. That being said, the cost of living crisis is not just going to disappear overnight. People are very much still struggling a great deal more than they were a year, a year ago. To really underline this point, I think we just need to look at the mass mobilizations we've seen in January and February thus far. Workers have been walking out en masse in several key sectors, such as transport, energy, healthcare, across several countries, including France, Spain, the UK, Italy, and Portugal. The list just really goes on and on. So I would say that businesses with operations in Europe should definitely be prepared for the likelihood of these continuing for at least the next six to eight months. Now, Taryn, politically, Western support for Ukraine has been pretty solid so far. Are there signs, though, that that could start to weaken as the conflict goes on? 
I'd say the short answer to that question at this point in time anyway is no. I mean, if we look back to the big news in January, for instance, you remember the decision by numerous Western countries to send tanks to Ukraine, something that many previously thought was a red line not to be crossed. And since this, we've seen even more calls for military and political reinforcement. During the um, Munich Security Conference recently, there were pledges of support from several governments, as well as proposals from certain countries that would essentially enable a ramping up in production of weapons and ammunition. Moreover, there were similarly strong statements of support at the conference from US diplomats and politicians on both sides of the aisle. Let me bring Louise back in here, because at the moment, there seems little prospect of any sort of formal negotiation between Russia and Ukraine. But are there routes to ending the conflict? What could they be? Ukraine has been very firm on its stance that a negotiated settlement just won't work because it does not believe that Russia, and specifically President Vladimir Putin essentially, can be trusted to respect any potential agreement. So Ukraine will only engage in negotiations with Moscow under you know several conditions that they've outlined. And most importantly, if all Russian forces are withdrawn from Ukrainian territory. So there's no immediate prospect of that right now. On the other side, what we're seeing from Russia is that having had to revise their aims, their conflict aims due to battlefield realities, now they will likely only be satisfied at a minimum if they were able to take control of at least Donetsk and Luhansk, more likely, you know, the four provinces that they illegally annexed last September. So that would also take in Kherson and Zaporizhia. But essentially, Russia's political and military leaders have consistently signaled their intent to continue with this conflict until they have some territorial gain. So what would see an end to the conflict currently is essentially a military victory for either side, or at least enough of a significant military and territorial gain for one side that then compels the other to the negotiating table. Also, a possibility would be if we saw some domestic political changes in Russia, that would then result in a change of Russian strategy. But there's no indication currently that that is a a likelihood. So right now, there's little prospect of an end to the conflict by the end of this year. The longer the conflict drags on, the greater the chance that both sides' current stance will change, of course. But right now, there's no immediate prospect of any end. Well, finally, Louise, after a year of fighting now, just just give us an indication of what it's been like trying to keep across the situation in Ukraine. We know that misinformation, disinformation have been a huge part of the information war, as it were. How hard is it? to maintain an accurate flow of information in a conflict like this? It's certainly a complex operation because not only do we have a substantial amount of misinformation and disinformation to contend with, as you say, there's a sheer wealth of open source information to sift through. Using satellite data or social media reports does allow us to access a wealth of information, but it's crucial that we're rigorously interrogating that data, its origins, its reliability, and so on. So our analysts often have to do a real deep dive on sources, you know, that we use to ensure that they stand up to scrutiny. At International SOS, we do have the benefit of having 24-7 information and analysis teams who are constantly working on these situations, but also that we have provider networks on the ground, and that includes on the ground in Ukraine. So in the early days of the conflict, when the situation was changing rapidly and information was more difficult to obtain, having people there on the ground was really invaluable for us in terms of relaying information to our clients that we were confident was accurate and up to date. 
Louise Hogan, lead security analyst for Eastern Europe and Central Asia at International SOS, on the efforts over the past year to verify the information coming out of the conflict in Ukraine. My thanks to her and Taryn Nidja, lead security analyst for Europe. If you missed the first two episodes on the anniversary of Ukraine's conflict, they're still available wherever you get your podcasts. And of course, you can get the latest information and updates on the crisis in Ukraine from our website, internationalsos.com. From there, you can also find out about our global network of assistance centres, available to clients 24-7. But until next time, thanks very much for listening, and goodbye.